2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. Let's read the first two verses. The Bible says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. And let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us this morning. Lord, these, uh, these dear people came out for a reason. And uh, they want to hear from you. They want to meet with you and grow. I believe that's the desire here. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd meet that, that you'd um, speak to hearts today. I pray that you'd guide and direct in all things. Help my voice this morning. And, uh, and I pray that everything that is said would be pleasing to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at this, we're coming to the last chapter here of 2 Thessalonians. And like a good Baptist preacher, Paul says, finally, brethren, and then gives us the whole other chapter. And, uh, and so, so here's the conclusion. It'll last a few more weeks, okay? Um, but we've been wrapping up. We've gone through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. There's a lot of things that Paul has dealt with. Uh, Paul and, of course, Timothy's with him and, and Silas. And he's, uh, he's trying to encourage this young congregation that had a very quick start. You remember, Paul was with them for three weeks before he ran out of town, run off to Berea. And uh, in that three weeks, a church was established. No leadership, no structure. And Paul was very concerned, how is this church doing? So by the time he gets down to Athens, he's leaving Athens, heading to Corinth. And on his way to Corinth, he decides, you know, Timothy and Silas, I can't, I can't stop thinking about those in Thessalonica. Can you go back and check on them? So he sends them back there, and they bring a report to Paul. They say, you would not believe how healthy this church is. People are being saved all over the place. This church is thriving. The church is doing well, but they have some questions. So one of the very first books, if not the first book, that Paul writes was to this church, the letter to the Thessalonians, and, uh, and then follows up with 2 Thessalonians pretty shortly after that. But he addresses some things. Uh, they had believed some lies. Some people have come in and said, uh, they said a couple of things. They, they, they were led by the Spirit to come say some things that they had a letter from Paul, um, or that uh, you know, they, 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 they had these different things that were bringing to them. And so some of the concerns in 1 Thessalonians was things like, um, what about those that have died? Are they going to miss the rapture? Some of those questions that Paul answers. Some of the questions he's answering here in 2 Thessalonians was so troubling them, he's telling them, hey, don't be troubled by this. Don't be swayed by this. And then that was, they were convinced that they were going through the tribulation. That they were going to be a part of this thing. So he addresses that. We get some insight on this Antichrist, who he is, what he's going to be like. Um, uh, he reveals this, these mysteries. And so as he's unpacking all these things and trying to help them to, to settle down and understand some issues, he's going to address some last final thoughts as we come into uh, chapter 3 here. And, uh, and he starts off really with the importance of praying for the, for the spread, if you would, of the word of God for it to go out and make an impact in people's lives. So he says this, Finally, brethren, pray for us. And really this starts off with a call to intercede. Call to intercede. You say, who's the us? It's Paul and his team there that's ministering. At this time, they were down in Corinth. And they were down there, uh, you know, of course, a very large town, a very large city, a city full of sin, uh, huge in trade and commerce. Uh, there's a retirement community there. It was a wealthy community. They had a lot going on there at Corinth, right? And as we looked at when we were studying through 1 Corinthians, uh, we, we saw a lot of the struggles. We saw a lot of the successes. We saw a lot that they were dealing with. Well, that's where Paul was as he's writing to this church. By the way, think about this. He was working full-time as a tent maker. 
He was growing this church in Corinth, and he's so burdened about this church in Thessalonica, he's spending all this time writing them uh, these letters, these doctrinal letters. So, I mean, uh, you start to understand when Paul was talking about some of the troubles he had in ministry, he talked about the distresses and the persecutions and all this stuff, and he said, on top of all this, the care of all the churches. Paul had such a burden for every church that he was involved with, even in churches he wasn't directly involved with, like the church of Colossians, as we're studying Wednesday nights. And um, uh, he just had such a heart that everyone is on track, that everyone is doctrinally grounded. He wanted to see that done. And so this church, he, was, he had such glowing reviews of this church. He said, you guys are so passionate about the spread of the gospel. There's no one we can talk to that you haven't already talked to. That's what he said back in, the, uh, in uh, 1 Thessalonians. You guys are reaching everywhere. You're doing an amazing thing. But he says, I know you're troubled about some things, so comfort one another with these words. And I'm going to share some things that are going to be comforting. So as he comes to this chapter, he asks them, hey guys, would you pray for us? And this really acknowledges a dependence upon God. Here's the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to this church, and he's asking for prayer. Prayer for spiritual insight and prayer for these things. It really begins with just humbly realizing, folks, if, if God's not involved then this is all for nothing. This is all going to come short. This is all going to just fail and collapse. Think about this now. The Apostle Paul, very gifted speaker, in his human education, had an understanding of the Old Testament Scripture like none other. Then he was personally discipled by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As the Apostle to the Gentiles, sent out, writing most of the New Testament, all the church epistles written by him, and, uh, and, and he's got this great understanding. He goes city to city. He, he kind of has a routine. He understands how things are going to happen. You know, he gets some persecution, but he also has some fruit. And he kind of goes from place to place. He understands some things. It'd be very easy if anyone can just depend on their education, their uh, eloquency, their, uh, their passion. Uh, the Apostle Paul could. By the way, do you know the more gifted you are, the more you really need to be bathing in prayer? How easy it is that we can do great things for God in the flesh and it comes to nothing. Because it was our strength. Not many mighty are called. Not many uh, 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 mighty according to the flesh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Not many mighty. Think about the people that God used throughout the scriptures. Um, I even, you know, one of my favorite characters, when you look at 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul, I think, was very, uh, you know, Paul had invested and developed young Timothy. But when you kind of read between the lines, why did Paul say things like, hey, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind? Because Timothy was struggling. He was timid, timid Timothy. He, he, he had some, some, some insecurities and some real struggles. He was insecure as he ministered to the Jews because his father was a Greek. He didn't get circumcised until he was an adult. And, and now he's ministering to some of these people who really hold on to those things. And there was a lot of just insecurities, like, I don't fit in, this is not my place. And, and yet God was going to use him greatly at the church at Ephesus. What I'm saying is, over and over again, we see these, these, these broken people and people that, God, that, that we would not have picked first place, you know, first choice that God would use. And, and so, so, so when we, you do find someone, you see, wow, if God got to hold that person's heart, he would do great things for God. Careful, you might just be looking at the flesh. He's so eloquent when he speaks. He's so this, he's so that. And in case in point, look at some of those popular preachers today. They can't reason their way through the scriptures if it was uh, broken down in a kid's curriculum. <laughs> but they can arrest your attention. They can speak. They can make you feel good. 
how easy we can just like rely on that flesh. And so Paul says, hey, pray for us. Paul, you're our mentor. You think you don't need help? We need the ones that need help. He's reminding them no matter how big you get, no matter how, how eloquent and how understanding you are in the word, boy, we need God. We need that dependency on him. He asks to pray for us. By the way, he asks that often. I heard one person say this. Guys, we need to stop saying this phrase, I covet your prayers. Covetousness is a sin. Did you know not everything we covet for is a sin? Did you know not all coveting is a sin? You can covet good things. In fact, that's what Paul said. Covet more earnestly uh, the best gifts. Did you know you can covet a spiritual gift and it's a good thing? Hey, if any man desire the office of a bishop, he desire a good You can covet to serve God. I, I hope one day God puts me in a position where I could do something in that regard. You can covet those things. You may not get it, but you can look, you can desire it. That's why he says, if you desire the office of a bishop, that, by the way, that's what the word means. Okay? Did you know not all lust is sin? We should put it in a, in a sinful context, but it's, it's what it's connected to. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the, the implication is it lusts against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other. You know, the spirit of God inside you lusts. It wants control. That's what the word lust means, to desire. What I'm saying is, some people are like, you should stop saying you cover your prayers. Paul, over and over again, said, guys, would you please pray for us? We desire your prayers. We're coveting your prayers. But what's interesting is what he asked prayer for. Romans 15, 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Here's the Apostle Paul asking the believers at Rome. He said, guys, please, would you... Would you strive in prayer with me? Folks, this is not going to happen if we don't get together on prayer. Ephesians 4, 18 and 19, after he talks about the spiritual armor, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me. Pray for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 4, 3 and 4. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I also am, in bond, am also in bonds, that I may make in mani- excuse me that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Notice these prayer requests that Paul's making. Pray for us. Pray for me. Pray for me. You know what Paul's saying to this church, guys? Pray. For your spiritual leaders. They're setting a course. They're setting a direction. They're handling the word of God. If it is the word of God that is going to change lives. If it is the word of God that is going to have an effect. It's going to effectually work in you. As he said to this church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians. Then, then, then it needs to start with God going through us. Pray for us. So you could study. You could prepare. But we really need to understand that ours is spiritual work. Spiritual work. So apart from the working of the Spirit of God, it will fail. You might say, well, it's not failing. Look at the numbers. Look at the success. Look at the lights. Look at all this stuff. Hold on. The day will declare it. For God will make manifest every man's deeds. The day will declare it. No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid the Lord Christ Jesus. And if any man brings, you know, wood, hand, stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones, for the day will declare it. 
You might say, look at this wonderful thing. Well, hold on. Once you pull, peel the paint back, and once you pull back the decorations, you start to see, wait a minute, that's just straw back there. That was just wood and stubble, and it's rotting underneath the paint. My wife and I, years ago, for uh, one of our, I think for one of our anniversaries, we went and stayed on Queen Mary, the old warship. And you can go uh, stay on it in Long Beach. And um, that was the Queen Mary? Yeah, it was, it was used in, well, it was not originally a warship, but they used it in World War II and, uh, uh, to transport some of the troops and stuff. But anyways, um, so we're on this thing. Well, well one year they were uh, going to be repainting the smokestacks. And it had so many layers. They're like, you know what we need to do? We need to peel back some of those layers and, to do a fresh coat. What they found very quickly was they had completely eroded, the, 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 the metal had uh, completely rusted away and was literally being held up by layers and layers of paint. <laughs> you peel back the paint, it's going to crumble on itself. It's going to look like our septic tank that was just pulled yesterday. <laughs> it was all rotting and falling apart. And, and, and so here's the idea that we could be thinking, we built this great foundation, and it looks nice. We've got paint on the walls, and we've got this thing. But, but if you peel it back, and the day's going to declare it, because it's going to be tried by fire. And so you peel back, you realize, whoa, that was built upon wood. Hang on, so you say, what are you referring to? I'm referring to how we are building the spiritual work that is built on the Lord Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. How do we build it? See, we can look at things from the outside and say, wow, that's a successful ministry. I remember one time I was talking about the issue of tongues and the misuse of, of, uh, of, of tongues and signs, gifts, and so forth. And, and this person was saying uh, who they had learned from and how they have thousands of people that show up every Sunday for their preaching. And they're like, and how many do you have in your church? And I'm like, that is not the measure of truth. And by the way, the most popular is rarely right. Especially when it comes to spiritual things. Just ask Jesus. And so we look at this and, 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 and we can say, well, I'm building this great thing. Well, hold on a second. Even in what appears like success, boy, we need to be bringing it before the Lord. God, is your hand in this thing? Well, of course it is. Look at all this. Uh, hold on. If numbers was a sign of success, then the Super Bowl did a great job. It was all blessed of God. But even let's look at like spiritual things. If numbers is a sign of success, those Muslims are doing pretty good right now. God must be all over Islam. You see what I'm saying? That's not the sign of it. In fact, often through Scripture, there was a very small remnant. So we need to make sure that God's touching this thing. We can have eloquence. We can have, we can have abilities. We can even have our own studies and degrees and credentials and all these things. Boy, but if God doesn't show up, if you've ever done one-on-one um, -on -one counseling with me, we probably address something, you know, we will start something like this. I'll say, I don't have the answers. I, I can't help you in my wisdom. So we need, to, we need to call on God to do something here. We need to reach out to him. The Spirit of God's got to lead this thing. And it's amazing. Sometimes there's some really tough issues that, that, that I've dealt with in, in the counseling office. And I'll sit back afterwards. I call on God's help. And I remember after that counseling session, I was like, wow, did God show up there. Just amazed me. That was not any of my wisdom, any of my study, any of my preparation, or anything like that. God just touched that thing. 
That's what Paul's asking for. Guys, would you remember us in prayer? Ours is spiritual work. We need the touch of God or else nothing's going to happen. It's all going to fall apart. Paul had a great big view of what God had called him to do. He even said it this way in one place. I magnify my office. God had put him in a very special place. He said, I'm going to exalt this thing. This is a very important work that God has put me to do. But I need the power of God if anything's going to happen. Pray for us. And so it's a great call, church. I want to just ask this, and I'm going to say this because we don't like to do selfish things, but I'm going to plead with you, church, pray for me. Pray for the leaders in our church. Pray for our Sunday school teachers. I get up, I got up this morning, and I feel like some of my morning was taken from me because I'm fighting new equipment in the back, trying to get that computer going this morning. But, uh, but, but I like to come in, and I like to pray in this room. I like to pray over the Sunday school classes. I like to spend some time. God, would you use these dear servants of the Lord? If we all would just take some time. God, we need to hear from you today. We need a touch of God today. You know what that takes? That takes some planning ahead. It takes laying out your clothes the night before and getting ready. Because Sunday mornings become very stressful, right? And very, especially if you've got small kids. It takes intentionality. But God, pray. You know, the, the, the thing is to pray for us. We see here not only, you know, as, as, as we see this prayer request, the acknowledgement of the dependence on God, but you know what this, these prayers do? It unifies the church. You know, Wednesday nights we, we share a prayer list and a prayer request, and we'll break off into groups and we'll do some prayer. And, uh, you know, you, what is all that about? There's something so unifying about praying together. When, uh, when I was in California, my wife and I would often uh, go down to a, um, a spiritual leadership conference in San Diego. One of the things I loved, particularly about this spiritual leadership conference, is it really sur- was surrounded by prayer. It re- they're very heavy in prayer. The church itself, many of them, they would rotate through prayer and fasting building up to it. The church was so, boy, we want we well, to see revival in America is what it was. And they had so many pastors that were going to be traveling in. They wanted God to do such a work... And so we'd meet together, and it'd be an evening service. The whole church would be involved and invited to the service as well as all the guests. But you'd have a packed-out Monday night service. And, uh, and you know what they'd start off? They didn't start off with some big special by the choir. They didn't start off with, you know, that's usually what it is. They're going to they're showcase all their best talent and all that kind of stuff. Uh, not this one. This one they said, guys, we need God. And they would challenge all the men. Men, can you just leave your seats for a second? And find something you don't even know. And come to the altar and pray with them. Meet them, figure out where they're from, all that, and pray with them. I can't tell you how many friendships that I still have today were found by meeting a stranger at the altar and praying together. And we talk, we'd say, what are some of the burdens in your ministry? What are some of the things you're dealing with? And we'd, we'd exchange for a few minutes, and then we'd, we'd pray. And we'd spend the first 20, 30 minutes of this conference praying. Like, wait, I, I came to get some instruction. I came to get some preaching. I came to... Guys, we need God in this thing. how we need God. It unifies. It brings us together. Paul's request for prayer, really it fosters a sense of, uh, of unity. As we come together over these things and, and we pray for one another, we bring these requests together. When we intercede for one another, we strengthen our bonds of fellowship. You know what we're really good at doing? We're really good at complaining. We're really good at pointing out faults. We're really good at, at recognizing issues. But, uh, but how good are we at interceding? You see, God did not give you discernment to gossip 
and to complain. God gave you discernment to intercede. Well, I've been given the gift of discernment. And then you start saying, this person has problems, and this person has problems, and this person has problems. Stop taking it to others and take it to the Lord. That's, that's where the discernment goes. This is to develop compassion in us. We're reminded that we are laborers together in God's, in God's vineyard, in God's service for his purpose. Philippians 1.27, I love what Paul says to the church there at Philippi. He says, only let your conversation, your lifestyle, your manner of living, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Folks, that's what we're doing here. We each have different gifts. We each have different abilities and personalities and positions. See, it's very easy for us to say, well, that's the pastor's job. Let him do that. No, no, we're all striving together for the faith of the gospel. You've got your part. I've got mine. And we come together in prayer, and we come together seeking God. What is it that the Lord has for us? So we see here this, uh, this call to intercede. He says, pray for us. Pray for us. And, uh, and, and, and by the way, this prayer... This prayer is not just uh, uh, him just kind of being selfish. He actually uh, gives the example in a, in a previous, previous book. I thought I had to jot it down here. Uh, oh, yeah, in, uh, in, in chapter number one, if, if, you're, if you're there in chapter three, just turn back to chapter number one, like verse number 11. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and work of faith with power. And that the name of the Lord, uh, Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this is something he had already been doing with them. He would already laid an example, and he says, guys, in the same manner, would you pray for us? Would you lift us up in prayer? So we see here the purpose of prayer. Look at, uh, look at verse 1 again. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is in you. Here's the specifics of his prayer request. I want you, uh, I want you to pray to this end that the word of God would have free course and that God would receive the glory. What a wonderful prayer request. You see, so often our prayer requests are so carnal, aren't they? And he says, he says listen, guys, this is the way you ought to be praying. And so the first thing is that he brings up is an unhindered proclamation of the Word of God. That it be unhindered, uh, uh, have free course. The idea of having free course, it conveys this idea of an obstruction in the path. That it's unobstructed, right? You ever, uh, you ever plan on going somewhere? We, we've been dealing with this this summer, right? Heading to town and all of a sudden, uh, I can't go to town. I have to take the Mitchell Expressway. Because, by the way, they're making an intersection that's never been done anywhere in the history of America. So I have an idea. We're so smart up here in Fairbanks, Alaska. Let's do something that's never been done. And now DOT, let me just let me get on a hobby horse real quick. <laughs> DOT is sponsoring this thing where they're giving cup holders to coffee shops that have a little reminder. If you're going to turn left, make sure you stay towards the left because you're going to have to veer to the left to go left. Because you're going to miss it if you think too late. If you're thinking going left by the time you get to the, the Wainwright, the intersection right there in the airport, you're going to miss it. You're going to be stuck going straight. So far before that, you've got to lean to the left 
Sounds like a political agenda. <laughs> I had an idea a liberal design this. Anyways, lean to the left if you want to go left. Folks, if you've got to have some kind of campaign to tell you how to drive, probably change the way you're doing it. But I think somebody figured out. They said, here's the intersection we wanted, but we got the wish.com version. And that's where we're at right now. So just, just venting my frustration there, okay? Uh, talking about a hindrance. The idea is here's the path for the word to go forward. Here's the thing. But if we're not careful, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be a hindrance in the way. And so pray that it has free course, that God would remove the hindrances. You know, sometimes there's hindrances in people's lives that, that we need wisdom from God that it be removed so they can receive the word. Remember, uh, um, remember when uh, Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. There were some people there, and before he raised Lazarus from the dead, do you guys remember uh, what Jesus instructed them to do? He told them to remove the stone. He wanted to get them involved in the miracle. I love this. But he's removing this obstacle. Removing it out of the way. You know, some people have some obstacles, some obstructions, before they could ever get saved. I was hurt by a church. My father was a Christian, was a minister, and abused me. I was betrayed by Christian friends. I am too educated to believe in some fairy tale like a god. After all, Darwin. You see what I'm saying? We have all these different obstacles. It takes, a, 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 it takes God at work, but it also takes a sensitivity to the Spirit of God. I remember one time a person got really aggressive with me, and I said this. Uh, when I was trying to share the gospel, then I was knocking on a door, and they found out I was from a Baptist church, and they, and they said, oh, you know, you're right on the door, and I said, I said, ma'am, I said, I just want to apologize to you. Why, you didn't do anything? I said, somewhere along the way, you've been hurt by a Christian. I don't know your story. But I said, I'm sorry. I said, we are imperfect people. This is all God's got to work with. But there's a God in heaven who loves you, sacrificed his life for your salvation. See, I was trying to neutralize it. She was upset, and she was taking out this frustration of someone that had hurt her in her past, trying to take it out on me now, the, the preacher that's standing in front of her, trying to share the gospel, the good news of salvation with her. And there was an obstruction. God, we need you to remove those obstructions. We need you to soften their hearts. By the way, as we're gearing up to start saturating this area here, be praying right now. Drive up and down the streets, praying over those addresses. God, soften hearts. We don't know what's going on behind those doors. We don't know what sins they've been captured by. We don't know what lies they believe of the devil. We don't know what hindrances there are. God, remove the hindrances. Prepare the way so that by the time a soul winner gets to them, they'll be ready to receive. They'll be ready to dialogue and, and hear for the word of God. That takes prayer. That takes cultivating the ground. Notice the previous prayer request that we, I read earlier from Paul. Paul gives these prayer requests, but it wasn't just prayer requests. Notice this, this connection here. In Ephesians 4, when he asked the church to pray for them, he says, and for me, here's what he prayed for, that utterance might be given unto me, that he'd speak, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 4, 3 and 4, with all praying... Uh, also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, 
for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Here in our text, he says that the word of the Lord may have free course. Course how? Audibly. That he'd be able to speak it. That he'd be able to share it and it'd be received. What's very interesting about this is as Paul is asking for prayer, he's not asking for prayer about his ailments, which Paul had many. He's not saying, hey guys, would you pray for my thorn in the flesh? No, in 2 Corinthians, he said, I prayed for my thorn in the flesh. I besought God thrice. When he would ask them to pray, it was always for the spiritual. Pray for me that a door would be opened. Pray for me that I'd speak as I had to speak. Pray for me that God would allow utterance, that, that, that obstructions would be removed. That's how he prayed, or that's how he asked them to pray for him. Think about that now. The emphasis that is placed on the power and the authority of the word of God. See, it's not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my carnal things. It's about God doing his work in and through us. Amen. That challenges the way that we pray. Sometimes people will say, hey, I have a family member who's dying of cancer. Would you pray for them? I struggle with how to pray for that. Because God may be using that in their life to take them home. God may be using that in their life to give a lesson or to teach somebody in their family the dependence upon him. I don't know what God's doing, so I pray, God, comfort them. Because I do know 2 Corinthians 1, he is the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in our tribulation that we, uh, uh, with the comfort we've been comforted with, may be a comfort to others. Uh, I pray that God would do his perfect will. If it be his will that he raise them up, Lord, raise them up and make your uh, glory, no, glory known that you'd get the honor and praise. But if it's also your will to take them home, use that in the lives, maybe to, to tear down some walls, tear down some, some things so that maybe a preacher that preached the funeral would, would, would boldly proclaim the gospel and people would be saved. I don't know what God's plan is, but I struggle with how to pray for those. I try to see it from a spiritual side. Our prayers create the atmosphere where the message of Christ can, can, can permeate hearts and minds without a hindrance. Our prayers do that. That's why he was asking them to pray for that. Our prayers can remove hindrances. Our prayers can do that. You know, people are always talking. Think about how we so selfishly talk about prayers. You know, you see bumper stickers and stuff. You know, prayers can move mountains and all the, you know, these things. And those are all wonderful truths from the scriptures. But, but think about this. Mountains to do what? To what purpose? To what end? That the glory of God may be made known. That the word of God would have free course. See, the word needs to have free course in our lives. It needs to have free course in others' lives. Why? Because obstructions abound. There are potholes. There are stumbling blocks. There are downed trees. There are construction zones. These are all obstructions. And spiritually speaking, there are obstructions that come into our life. Think about some of the things that obstruct. 2 Timothy 4.9, Paul speaks of one of these obstructions. For Demas hath forsaken me. What was his distraction? Having loved this present world. He wanted to live for the here and now. He had no, no vision of the eternal, no, no sight of God. And so what happened? It obstructed, it got in the way of his ministry to the Lord. It got in the way of God doing something in his life. Why? Because, you know what, I've just, I'm done with this. I, I want to live for the here and now. Having loved this present world. 1 Timothy 6, 9-12. For the love of money is the root of all evil. By the way, it does not say money is the root of all evil. I love people saying, well, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. And here's churches passing around the offering plates. and all this. What does that say about them? <laughs> no, 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 no. I love, my, I love one preacher was, um, was on some kind of talk show or whatever. 
And what do you say about this uh, thing of, uh, of money being the root of all evil? He says, no, no, the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says money is a root of all evil. I'm like, no, you didn't even get that right. <laughs> no, it's the love of money. That, that being your passion and your pursuit. And, you know, it has you. Listen, money is a great tool. Uh, use your money, but don't let your money get a hold of you. The love of money is the root of all evil. Notice the warning. Which while some coveted after, here's an evil coveting, they have erred from the faith. The chasing after money caused them to actually err from the faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And when you're trusting in the almighty dollar, who do you cease to trust in? See, I think some of our early founders and, and even politicians uh, who, who set this in course had a lot of wisdom when they put it on our money. In God we trust. In God we trust. Well, separation of church and state. No, no, hold on a second. America, here is a warning from beyond the grave. Don't put your trust in this dollar. Every time you make it, you, you make an exchange of that money, you ought to give it, you're reminded. We get very comfortable with it. We forgot that it's even on there. Hey, in God we trust, not in this. In God we trust. Why? Because you'll err from the faith. And by the way, the more materialistic a society gets, notice how secular they get. They err from the faith. How about this? A hunger for entertainment over truth. If the world can create, or if, 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 <clears throat> I think I have a typo here. I'm going to make sense of my notes. It, <laughs> okay, yeah. If, I was like, what in the world did I just say? All right, I remember what I was saying. If the word, capital W, if the word which created the world and can maintain the world, spoke it into existence and maintains this world that we're in, don't you think the word can make an impact in our lives? I love it how God, the Bible calls Jesus the Word, the Logos of God. By the way, in the beginning was the Word. The word is with God. The Word was God. Jump back all the beginning, Genesis 1. God said, God worded, God Logos. Now I'm just really messing up languages, right? I can even ruin the Greek. Let there be. Who actually created everything? The Lord Jesus Christ. And by him all things consist. That's the word. The living word. And he's given us his word. And, and, he, and he's given it to us, yes, that we would know him. That, that it would change our life. That, that if, if you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you. There is to be this abiding relationship. And what happens? It sustains us. And it, and it changes us. And it grows us. You see, uh, we see a trend more and more going towards entertainment and minimizing the Word of God. And by the way, I'm not just talking about music and dramas taking over churches. Because even in good, sound, fundamental churches, what are we doing? We turn preaching into entertainment if we're not careful. But we see it, right? We see it in the, in the modern church movement, right? There's a, just the lights and the performance and all this kind of stuff. I heard of a, of a missionary who was visiting a church, and this was a normal Sunday morning, and they had just special after special and songs and singing. And he said, this went on, you know, the, the clock was going, it was about, it was about 
Church started at 11. It's just music and music and music and music. And then, the, and then it's finally getting to the end. He's getting ready to go up there and share his ministry. And he's asked to preach. And the preacher, uh, the pastor of the church whispers in his ear. He's like, you've got 10 minutes. What? what are we doing here? But we see it, right? We see these, uh, you know, the more resemblant of a, more resemblance of a, semblance, they resemble more a, a rock concert or a dance or, or something like that than, than church. We have a problem. I know somebody who visited a church in town, I won't tell you the name, but I, I heard their subwoofers thumping when I was pulling up at the, at the sourdough gas station this morning. They went there to support their nephew who was getting baptized. And he said to me, he said, I was there for the whole service, and he said, uh, he said, they never actually had a time for a sermon. They had all this music and dancing, and, and then they had a baptism service, but they never actually like, opened up the Bible. They never actually had a service. The baptism replaced the preaching time, because after all, we've got to get up by noon. We've got to... We gotta beat the Methodists to the buffet. <laughs> what are we doing? But let me just say, if we're not careful, we start departing from properly and carefully handling the Word of God to chasing after things that get a lot of amens, that making it exciting and dramatic. I'll tell you one. I'll just go ahead and drop names. I'm always picking on Joel Osteen. I'm always picking on these other guys. I'll, I'll pick on one in our own circle. This guy, Tony Hudson. Let me just throw his name out. There are a lot of other guys like this. I got away from the mic. Um, he, he's a sought-after preacher. And I was like, I'm going to listen to this guy and see what he has to say because he's a sought-after preacher. And, and, and I go and listen to him. And his sermon, the text was, Strengthen the Things That Remain. And he starts going off about, like his whole sermon, he didn't depart from this. His whole sermon was about, about churches that have coffee in service, uh, screens, um, uh, singing from the, uh, anything but the red hymnal, and all this being compromised. And, and I was like, what are you talking about? Have you ever referenced any scripture in this entire sermon? And he's just going on and on, and I don't know who he was preaching to, because they must have enjoyed it. Because, you know, he's, he's just carrying on and on. I'm thinking to myself, can we get back to Bible preaching, please? Be so careful. We, we, we love the things that tickle our ears. And, and if we're not careful, those of us who have a hunger for God's word can fall into the same trap. Because we say, oh, that was a much more enjoyable sermon than the last one I heard. But are we not to preach the whole counsel of God? You know, it's not all exciting. It's not all uh, 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 rainbows and, <laughs> and lollipops. <laughs> What happens is we start despising prophesying, yeah. which we saw in the previous 1 Thessalonians 5. Despise not prophesying. And by the way, what is it that is prophesied? The Word of God. We begin despising the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, years ago, Charles Spurgeon is attributed to him. It's hard to find out who actually said this. Some, some say it was this... Um, um, uh, somebody else, but, uh, but a lot of people think that it was Charles Spurgeon who said this. It's harder to pin this one down, but he uh, gave a discourse entitled Feeding Sheep or Entertaining Goats. Now, that goes back to a reference of Jesus talking about uh, separating the sheep from the goats. From a distance, when you get a bunch of sheep and goats together from a distance, but they all kind of blend together. They look the same. But, but, but the shepherd came through and he started separating them, one from the other. 
And the question is this, are we feeding the sheep or are we entertaining the goats? And so, um, so here's what he said. Let me find where it starts. Feeding sheep or amusing goats. Um, <clears throat> an evil is in the professed camp of the Lord, so gross in its impudence that the most short-sighted can hardly fail to notice it during the past few years. By the way, think about this. This is the 1800s. It has, it has developed an abnormal, at an abnormal rate even for evil. It has worked like leaven until the whole lump ferments. The devil has seldom done a cleverer thing than hinting that the uh, to the church that part of their mission is to provide entertainment for the people with a view of winning them. See, Spurgeon was addressing this issue. We'll provide entertainment, and then we will win them. Okay? From speaking out, of, out as the Puritans did, the church has gradually toned down her testimony then winked at it and excused the frivol uh, frivolities of the day. Then she tolerated them in her borders. Now she has adopted them under the plea of reaching the masses. Think about this now. Think about some of the hot topic issues in our culture today and how the church is reacting to them. We're accepting it. We are ordaining people that are taken up by the same sins. My first contention is that providing amusement for the people is nowhere spoken of in Scripture as a function of the church. If it is a Christian work, why did not Christ speak of it? Going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, this is clear enough. So it would have been if he had added, and provide amusement for those who do not relish the gospel. No such words, however, are found to be found. It did not seem to occur to Jesus. Then again, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry. Where do entertainers come in? The Holy Spirit is silent concerning them. Where uh, were the performer, excuse me, were the prophets persecuted because they amused the people or because they refused? The concert has no martyr role. Again, providing amusement is in direct antagonism to the teaching and life of Christ and his apostles. What was the attitude of the church to the world? Ye are the salt, not the sugar candy. Something the world will spit out, not swallow. Short and sharp was the utterance. Let the dead bury their dead. He was in awful earnestness. Had Christ introduced more of the bright and pleasant elements into his mission, he would have been more popular when they, when they went back because of the searching nature of his teaching. I do not hear him say, run after these people, Peter, and tell them we will have a different style of service tomorrow, something short and attractive with little preaching. We'll have a pleasant evening for the people. Tell them they will be sure to enjoy it. Be quick, Peter. We must go to the people somehow. Jesus pitied sinners, sought and wept over them, but never sought to amuse them. In vain will the epistles be searched to find a trace of this gospel of amusement. Their message is, come out, keep out and clean out anything approaching fooling uh, excuse me anything approaching fooling is conspic uh, conspicuous by its absence they had boundless confidence in the gospel and employed no other weapon after peter and john were locked up for preaching the church had a prayer meeting but they did not pray lord grant to unto thy servant that, that by a wise and discriminating use of innocent recreation, we may somehow uh, show these people how happy we are. If they cease not from preaching Christ, 
They had no time for arranging entertainments. Scattered by persecution, they went everywhere preaching the gospel, and they turned the world upside down. This is the only difference. Lord, clear the church for all the rot and rubbish the devil has imposed on her by bringing us back to an apostolic method. Lastly, the mission of amusement fails to affect the undesired. It works havoc among young converts. Let the careless and scoffer who thank God because the church met them halfway speak and testify. Let the heavy laden who found peace through the concert not keep silent. Let the drunkard to whom the dramatic entertainment had been God's link to the chain of conversion stand up. There are, no, or there are none to answer. The mission of amusement produces no converts. The need of the hour for today's ministry is believing scholarship, uh, excuse me, the, the need of the hour for today's ministry is believing scholarship joined with earnest spirituality, the one springing from the other as a fruit from the root. The need is biblical doctrine so understood and felt that it sets men on fire. I know that's a little bit of a long excerpt and I'm not a poor reader. But folks, that was like 150 years ago. What would Spurgeon say today? Sometimes I read some of his writings and I'm like, was he talking to them? <laughs> but is that not the mission? Well, we're, just, we're going to reach them. We're going to reach them. There's a testimony a lot of people like uh, from the guitar player from a, a rock band called Korn. Um, back in the 90s, a lot of bands had food names. They're still around today. And uh, their guitar player was a, was a meth addict, drug addict, suicidal, about to lose his family and his marriage and everything. And while strung out on LSD or something like that, he found Jesus. And he quit the band. And so you start thinking, man, this guy, I think something's changing. He quit this band on millions of dollars and fame and fortune and women and all the things people chase after. And, uh, but I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, but is, is he changing? He was still kind of like this metalhead. Of course, he's covered in tattoos. You can't change that, okay? But you could trim the dreadlocks a little bit. You could put an eyeshadow on. And I'm not saying that's all external. I got a separate message for that another time. But I was kind of watching this guy from a distance. He wrote a book, and Christians were raving about this guy's change. And he would talk about, you know, peace, and he would talk about very flowery language and everything. Well, just a few years ago, he rejoined the band, Corn. And here's what he said. He said, those are my people. I thought if anybody be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, but all things become new. He couldn't find a place with the, 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 the Christians. Here's how men will know you're my disciples. You have love one for another. Speaking of disciples for disciples. And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of summons, but exhorting one another to, uh, as so much the more you see the day approaching. Coming together with other believers, he said, these are my people. That's his ecclesia. That's his church. He says, I want to reach them. To reach them to what? You're still a mess. I know that's sounding very judgmental, but let me just say this. Jesus was friends with sinners and publicans, but he did not partake of their sin. Right. Jesus looked at that woman caught in adultery and said, neither do I condemn thee. And then he said, go and sin no more. But can I say, he was not one of her clients. 
See, we treat it in such a vile, filthy way. Well, as long as whatsoever you do, you're doing it to the glory of God. That is not what that means. It's telling you how you do things. Be sure that it's glorifying to God, whether you eat or drink. So what do we do? We, we're so corrupting this. Because look at, remember I talked about that foundation we lay, how we lay it. Well, look at all the people. Yeah, you, you know what? You put on any kind of entertainment thing, people are going to show up. How many of you went to the fair this year? No one here? Wow, okay. I didn't make it out either. But I guarantee you, there was a lot of people there. Why? Because there was a lot of entertainment. Or, or here's another word for entertainment. Amusement. Anybody ever think of that word amusement? What does the word muse mean? To think. What happens when you put A in front of a word? Not to. We have places where you pay money to go not think. And that's the driving thing of our nation today. We now give our little kids devices so they don't have to think. That's where we're headed. Notice what he said there, and we're going we're to finish this up. He wants free course and wants the Lord to be glorified from the reception of the Word of God. And he says, as it is in you guys. He says, you guys have been a great testimony, a great example of this. But his emphasis was that God would be glorified. Why do we pray? And to what end are we praying? Let me just say this. I want the word of God to have free course in North Pole, Alaska. And I want to see God glorified through that. How does that happen? And what takes place when that happens? See, he continues the emphasis here. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse number 8. He said this. Herein, or this is how, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So should we be my disciples. We talk about this a lot, right? Well, I just want to glorify God. To the glory of God. Well, here's how he's glorified that you bear much fruit. Whoa. You mean every time fruit is produced out of my life, my father is glorified? Absolutely. And you identify as Jesus' disciple. Of course, we have the spiritual fruit of the fruit of the Spirit working out in our lives. God developing that in and through us. But then we have the external fruit as well as we reproduce. That is fruit. Being fruitful. Paul prayed to this end for them, is now asking that they, that they pray for him. As I mentioned in 2, Corinthians, uh, or 2 Thessalonians 1, he says, we prayed for you guys. Now we're asking that you pray for us. And then thirdly, we see the confidence in God's faithfulness. Look at, uh, look at verse number 2. It says that we may, we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. He asked for protection for opposition. We've already talked about removing the obstacles, but now he's asking them to, 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 to pray that they be protected from opposition. It's interesting, the word there, unreasonable and wicked men. You know, people under the umbrella of Christianity are getting more and more unreasonable these days. Right. Well, you know, we just, you know, just we're called to love everybody. Are, really, is that, is that everything we're called to do? And yes, I, I hope every one of us are motivated by love. But can I tell you this? If my daughter, sitting here on the second row, if she is heading on a path that is about to destroy her life, is it loving to rebuke her or is it loving to just let her go? Think about it now. And I love her so much more than so many other things in this world. And I'm going to fight to the end of the world for her soul. Because I love her, not because I hate her. Think about this now. And there are more and more unreasonable Christians who are attacking the word of God. They're attacking the authenticity of the Word of God. I heard this one, this one uh, uh, woke LGBTQ ordained minister talking about how the, I, I think I showed this before, how the Great Commission is racist. 
And she was talking about how, how we, uh, scholars agree. Uh, whenever they say that, watch out, because now you can say whatever you want, because you never named any of the scholars. <laughs> scholars agree that we don't know who actually wrote the book of Matthew. <laughs> By the way, she's, and then she kept referring to Matthew as the anonymous author of the book of Matthew. Hold on a second, you're telling us to trust these anonymous scholars. And then, and then another person, they were talking about, uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I, uh, it showed up on Facebook, one of these woke preachers, like, i got to say something here. And, uh, and I quoted uh, something from 1 Timothy. And this guy said, uh, 1 Timothy is not authenticated that it is a true Pauline epistle. <laughs> Can I tell you, the very first time we introduced to the person of Satan, his tactic was to say, Yea, hath God said... Did God really say that? Well, you really haven't really kind of confirmed if he really said that to you. And what are we doing? These people are ministers. These people have, 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 have given their lives in their mind to serve God. And what are they doing? They are, they're taking everyone they have influence over and saying, you cannot trust this book. To which I say, you are doing the work of the devil. And marvel not. For the devil himself shall come and appear as an angel of light. And his ministers, get this now, as ministers of righteousness. They think they're doing the work of God, but they are not. People who are anti-Christ. Reasoned out God altogether, and antagonistic to his gospel. Given over to the enemy. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. We need to be praying that that, that, that light of God can break through because the devil has blinded their minds. This is what he's saying. He said, we need to pray that God be glorified and that we're delivered from these wicked and unreasonable men. 2 Timothy 3, 8. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Paul is saying this is how we need to be praying. And we don't know who they are, we don't know what they're dealing with, but we need those things broken down. We need those walls torn down. Then he acknowledges uh, the diversity of faith that's out there, by the way. For all men have not faith. That's a powerful statement. Well, they'll figure it out. By the way, this is one of the reasons I'm so anti-Calvinistic. Yes, not all men have faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, which means I need to go and preach the word. And so we have to be praying, God, tear down these walls. These people have rejected you, and these people don't know you, and these people are angry at you, and these people, they're fighting something. All men have not faith. Our prayers ought to be for the salvation of souls and the strengthening of believers to proclaim the good news. Our prayers encompass both the lost and believers as we seek God's mercy and guidance in this thing. So it's important to understand that most of the time these days, we're not preaching to people who have a religious foundation. We are in a post-Christian society. See, Paul, when he would preach to the Jews, they had a religious foundation. 50 years ago, 100 years ago in America, you preached to a lost person or an unchurched person, they had a religious foundation. They believed in a one God. They believed that he was a creator. They believed the Genesis account. They believed a uh, Catholic uh, foundation of, of God, the Father, and God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Though they may have some things twisted, there was somewhat of a foundation to work upon. Today, we know nothing. We don't know who Adam and Eve are. We don't know about the fall of man. We don't know any of those things. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. But if our gospel be hid, folks, here's the, catch, the kicker. It is hid to them that are lost, 
in whom the God of this world has blinded their minds, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. So as we wrap this up in, here in this passage, just two verses, but boy, they're packed. So we consider the prayer. So we consider praying for the ministry of the word. Prayer for those who are going out proclaiming. I think about the guys going on these RAM trips, uh, remote missions Alaska, and remote Alaska missions, and they, and they head out there, and, and Brother Connolly went out to some remote cabins, and, and as you go out, sometimes it may seem very unfruitful, but boy, I tell you what, pray that those hindrances be removed. Pray that that free course happens. Pray for me as I proclaim the truth to you guys. Pray for me as we, as, as we go out into this world and for our soul winners, and pray that it has free course. Why? That it be not hindered, and that God be glorified. Have free course, and that God be glorified. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9. I have planted, Apollo's watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. So he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You're his husbandry, you are his building. See, a huge part of having a great harvest is preparing the ground. Is tilling the soil, preparing that ground. So here's the question. Have you been tilling the soil? Have you been preparing the ground? Have you been on your knees praying and asking God and begging God? See, this, you know, we look around and we say, boy, this world's in a mess. We're in a spiritual free fall. What have we been doing? Have we been responsive in the, in the calls that Scripture is calling us to, praying for the, in, the, in these ways? See, God has planted us together here, not for ourselves, but that we together make a difference for his glory. And yes, there's going to be some that are watering, and there's going to be some that are planting, but the whole purpose of this is that God be glorified, that God gets the increase. So he says, pray that we, utter, uh, 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 that, that, that we need to be utterly dependent upon God. We have the purpose that the word of God would go forward and be received, and then we'd have protection from those wicked and unreasonable men, those, those, the opposition uh, from the enemy. Let's have a word of prayer. Why don't we go ahead and stand?